I just wanted to um, just welcome you here today. We have a special guest, and it's my mother-in-law. Leah's mom's here from Saskatchewan, so make sure you say hi to her. Great to have you here, Mom. Thanks for making cinnamon buns yesterday. <laughs> Great way to break a fast. Now, I'm just so thankful uh, what God's doing in the life of the church, and I just want to encourage you that nothing can be done without prayer. We saturate our ministry and mission through prayer. We pray first, and then as we serve, uh, God's already gone ahead of us. And so I encourage you to come Wednesday night. We are going to do what we endeavor to do. We want to build this into this year's prayer uh, summits, and that is to give opportunity for you if the Lord's laid something on your heart. The scripture says when you gather, someone has a word or a psalm or someone has a, you know, something to share with the congregation to inspire and encourage uh, to strengthen and comfort. So I uh, want you to have opportunity to do that, man. So please come ready to do so, and we'll also have some other things for which we will pray. Uh, theologian and scholar N.T. Wright said this, the Western church today has perhaps allowed itself to be lulled into thinking that prayer and action are at opposite scales of Christian activity. On the contrary, those who want their actions to be effective for God's kingdom should redouble their time and effort in prayer. Prayer brings together love and power. The relation of love that grows up between God and the people who pray and the flowing of power from God to and especially through people who pray. Well, we're in the final series uh, of our series on prayer, of our six vital prayers for vital health or faith. And Paul today is going to encourage us to seek a deeper knowledge and experience of God's power, his love, and his presence. He opens our eyes to the untapped potential of God's power in us, inspiring us together to live and serve for the praise and glory of God in new ways. So the last of our Amen 6 series is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. The prayer is just one part, but it shows that it produces actually three other things. And I'm just going to encourage you. Uh, we're going to read the entire text together. Then we're going to focus in on the prayer itself. Okay? You ready? Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's turn to the living word of God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family and heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
That's our text. Here's the prayer in a nutshell, and I'm going to slightly paraphrase it. The prayer is that God would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That God would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. We'll unpack this. Here's the prayer. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every name in heaven and on earth is named. So this, what reason? He says, for this reason, what reason? Well, he's just spent a, a few chapters talking about it, but he picks up what he began in chapter 3, verse 1, and he's talking about the mystery of God's salvation now to the Gentiles. It was hidden before, but which Paul now is teaching and preaching openly to them. And he says, I bow my knees. Now, this may not sound unusual. Well, actually, it is. How many of you actually bow your knees in prayer, get on your knees? And um, if I do that, sometimes it's because there is something really intense. I don't know, sometimes my physical posture helps align my attitude. You ever done that? If, you, if not, I encourage you one time at least this week that wherever you are in your home, find a place and get on your knees. I know for some of us it's harder. Getting up's the trouble, right? But get on your knees and pray. It does something to your spirit, to your attitude, your whole idea. So for a Jewish man, especially a Jewish religious leader in that day, the general posture was to stand and pray, often with hands raised. Uh, but Paul is just this unusual posture for prayer. Uh, it really reveals some things. Paul's humility before God, his passion. He just really wants to lean into this prayer. So he kneels and he prays for this church. Now, by addressing God as Father who names, that is, who defines the uh, identity of every group, whether angelic beings in heaven or humanity on earth, Paul affirms God's greatness and his sovereignty over every created being. According to the riches of his glory, God's glory is awesome and it's abundant. You see, in the scripture, when it talks about the glory of God, often his glory is a source of divine power or the manifestation of his power. We see it in the burning bush with Abraham. On Mount Sinai with Moses as the cloud descended and the lightning flashed, his glory was powerful. The cloud or fire in the wilderness or emanating from the tent of meeting in the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant in the temple on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was transformed where the cloud of glory was there. In the upper room at Pentecost, in the book of Revelation, Jesus coming in the clouds of glory, speaking of his power and his authority. You see, Paul is alluding not only to the abundance of God's glory here, but also to its potency. And so he's praying for this church that according to not just the abundance, but the power of God's glory, here's what he prays, that they, he may grant you, it's a gift, 
to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He, to grant you or give you or enable you to be strengthened. Something that's done to you. It's not something you muster up yourself. It's in the passive voice here. It's something received, something given that he may grant you or give you or enable you to be strengthened, infused with, sustained by, supported with something that is not sourced or generated by us. It is given or granted by God. We receive it. And this is power, strengthening you with power. For some of you who are familiar with the scriptures, uh, it's that wonderful Greek word dunamis, what we get from Acts 1.8, where you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit is often associated with God's power. In fact, He is the power of God. Sometimes we, we want to think about God's power as some sort of nebulous, nameless you know, commodity that somehow he infuses with like electricity. That's not true. The power of God is always a person, and that person is the Holy Spirit. So to be filled with or strengthened with the Holy Spirit, he will strengthen and empower you. The power of God is a person. Please say that with me. The power of God is a person. God the Holy Spirit. And he may strengthen you in your inner being. He's talking literally in your inner man. He uses the word anthropone, like where we get anthropos, man, humanity. That he would strengthen you in the inner person, the seat of one's consciousness and moral being. The very real us in the very interior, wherever our personality, our moral conscience, and whoever we are, really are, that is where he will meet us by his spirit and strengthen us at the very core. And that power influences us from inside and manifests outward. That's his prayer. That God would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. How do you need to be strengthened this morning? I know every one of us, somehow, some way, needs the Spirit of God to strengthen us inside. Some of you may be facing pressure economically, relationally, there's discord or dissonance. Maybe you're struggling deeply with temptation or to persevere and keep living for Christ in a culture that derides Christ. Some of you who are wrestling deeply with illness that's chronic or that's, you know, not just going away and to keep getting up in the morning for some of you, your prayers are not answered yet, ones you've been praying for a long time. I join you in that. The power to persevere, keep being strong in faith. 
or the relentless challenge of seeing transformation in your character, the things that beset you all the time. You need strength. Strength to serve when you're getting worn out. Yet again. To love people that are difficult to love. You see, you can't just drum it up all the time. Psych yourself up to do it. You need a power outside yourself that comes into your very being or the manifestation that's there as the Holy Spirit literally infuses you to love one more time, to forgive, to serve. How do you need to be strengthened this morning? Can you identify that in your mind? Because it's going to be really helpful for you. Well, I'm going to posit this morning that through this prayer, the Holy Spirit empowers three experiences in us. Here's the first. He empowers us to trust Christ's ownership. Let me unpack this for you. To trust Christ's ownership of your life. It's one of the most difficult things for us is to surrender absolutely and fully. We hate giving up control. Is that not true? Who is sitting beside a person that hates giving up control? Okay, not so fast, not so fast. We all do. One of the biggest challenges to really live for Christ is to give him control, surrender, to entrust the ownership of your life to Jesus Christ. It's a challenge. And it's not something that only occurs once. It ought to. But to maintain that and to live in that kind of surrendered trust is a very challenging thing. And this is where the Holy Spirit empowers us. In our text, he says this, we are be filled and strengthened with power in the inner person by your Holy Spirit so that, here's the reason, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Sometimes as we just cursory read this, we think, well, that's when he comes to live inside you when you pray to become a Christian, and I've done that, that's so far in the past. Not so fast, friends. Paul is preaching, and he's right writing this letter to the church, to the, to, the, to the Ephesian church, whom he affirms is already in Christ. He spent an entire chapter to show about 14 things that they already possess in Christ. So these are believers. And he's challenging them to be filled with the strength of the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That we by faith allow him, the living King and Lord, to make his home with us, take up his loving rule in that home. The word dwell is used there very specifically. It means to settle down and make one's home, where one arranges the home, you know, creates the home, designs the home. It's, there's a different word, it's the word, it's the word, uh, I won't say it, it's a different Greek word. The other one means like a stranger who happens to be living here but doesn't live here, he's going back to his home. 
someone who's temporarily staying in a place that's not their own. And that's not the word is used here. The one used is very, very specifically to dwell, to make one's settled home a permanent as opposed to temporary residence. Christ abiding in the heart, taking ownership and fashioning his own permanent residence as he wants it. And it takes faith. And the Holy Spirit can enable you and strengthen you, empowering you to actually trust Christ's ownership of your life. You'll always be skeptical if you try to do it in your own strength. But through Christ, he'll enable you to surrender. Even Jesus, the scripture said, who through the eternal spirit offered himself as an offering for our sin. If Jesus in his humanity needed the power of the Holy Spirit to to entrust, to offer his life, how much more you and I He's talking about dwelling in our hearts. He's speaking of this um, uh, deep spiritual reality and connection of the Spirit's work and the experience of Christ taking up ownership here. It's a powerful work to be able to yield up that kind of control and ownership. So, this is the first thing I believe that the Spirit empowers is that we will trust him to take ownership. Let me ask you a very, very real question. Now, don't answer this flippantly. Have you yielded ownership of who you are? To the King Jesus. You will never experience the fullness of the life of Christ and the kingdom of God without that type of surrender. Surrender opens the doorway to all of the blessing, all of the richness that comes being in union with Christ and living in his kingdom. And without that type of surrender, you will never fully experience it. It will always be like you're looking through a window observing a scene in others. And friends, Jesus wants you to experience that. It's counterintuitive. Everything in our culture says, be your own person, take control, you deserve it, everything about you. But the problem, Jesus says, if you want to save your life, lose it for me. Give it to me. And you will find the opposite message of our culture. And you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit working inside you to make that decision initially and to continue to live in that type of yieldedness to him. Here's the second thing. The Spirit empowers us to know Christ's love. I remember my brother saying to me one time, 
Jerry, I hear everybody talking about this God loving them. It's the same feeling I get when I'm in a room and someone tells a joke and everyone gets it, but I don't. That's how I feel when I hear people talk about God's love for them. He didn't get it. And when he finally surrendered his life to Christ over those 24 years, you know, he finally did when he was like in his 30s. He got it. He said this one time. It was, a, it was a quote I have, and I have it written down, and I'll try to remember it verbatim. He said something fascinating. He said, the drugs took me places I never wanted to go, but Christ took me to places I never dreamed I could get to. And the Holy Spirit will enable you to know, experience the love of Christ. To comprehend and to know the love. Now, Paul's going to inject a number of clauses into this. It's not quite that simple. You know, Paul, he's got this run on. He's just so full of passion for Christ and his love that he goes on all these tangents. What he's really saying is it would know Christ's love. But here's what he says, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Where he's praying that we'll be strengthened in our being, in our being so that we will know the love of Christ. Now he mixes a couple of metaphors. One is, you know, botanical being rooted like a plant or a tree, deeply rooted, and then an architectural one to be grounded or founded. A tree well-rooted in the soil and a house well-built on a solid foundation, being rooted and grounded in love, the unseen cause of their stability is the same. It's the love of Christ. And this love is to be the soil in which their life is rooted, the foundation upon which their life is built. He says that you may have strength with all the saints to have strength enough to be fully able to comprehend. We can't do it without him. The Holy Spirit, you know, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 that without the Spirit, the Spirit who knows the heart and the mind of Christ, we can't understand that unless the Spirit enables us. And he's given us the mind of Christ so that we can understand. But he says that you would have strength enough to fully be able to comprehend with the saints, with all the saints, this word is connected to being holy or distinct and set apart for Christ and his purpose. So those who believe in Jesus, who receive his spirit and have committed themselves to follow him in life, who live for him, who are distinct, set apart for him, that we, he would, we would have strength with all of us. With, together, alongside, in the presence of, with all the saints Jews, Gentiles, women, men, young, old, black, white, with all of the varied backgrounds and experiences. Now, I'm going to just pause here because Paul goes on this tangent and just say this, that Christian knowledge of God's love is a shared knowledge. 
He makes himself known and helps us to grow in our understanding of him in the community of his people. John Stott, he was an author and pastor, he said this, that the isolated Christian can know something of the love of Christ, but to grasp Christ and his love deeply is bound by that limited experience. To fully understand and experience that love, to be rooted and grounded, you need to be consistently and vitally connected with the people of God. Where you worship, sing, give, hear, learn, love, confess, encourage, forgive, fellowship, pray with, pray for, forgive, receive forgiveness, care, receive and care, celebrate the sacraments together. It is a corporate, collective knowledge. You will never know in your experience the fullness of the whole love of God alone. And I've got to be gentle here, but I've got to be firm. You will never know it if you only listen to podcasts or watch video messages. Even in countries that persecute Christians... They will do whatever they can to secretly gather together to worship, to fellowship, to teach, and to share communion. I remember our friends Eric and Layla. Layla told us this fascinating story where she was in Azerbaijan and Iran, and she would leave as she became a Christian, and she would go, and she, would t- she literally would tw- travel 12 hours away and secretly go to church, a gathering, an underground gathering of believers in Christ to hear the word, to worship and pray, to share communion. When Leah was in China, they were in a room and they were just had to very hushed tones quietly sing together and share together. Around the world, people do that in underground churches and here we sit in North America and I'd rather just sit at home thinking that you're going to develop the full love of God and understand it and grasp it by yourself. You never will. It's good when we're in lockdown. It's something. It's helpful when we're sick and can't get out or in total shutdown. You're shut in. But I'll tell you, if you are doing this, thinking you're going to develop and cultivate cultivate a deep love and understanding of God and his love, you are sadly mistaken. In Scripture, from cover to cover, from beginning to the end of time, the collective gathering of the church of Christ, God's people, is modeled, taught, and even commanded. Why? Because it is the central component to the making of disciples, experiencing God's love, and living as his people. Hebrews 13, and let's consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In the regular life here in Canada, not gathering with the body limits the extent of our experience of loving connection with God and stunts true spiritual growth in Christ-likeness. Sanctification 
that is the becoming more and more like Christ and experiencing all of the life that he has for us. Sanctification is necessarily social. It is forged most often within the context of relationships, especially in the community of faith, as we are mutually being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That's why when we studied Thessalonians, he said in chapter 3, 12, and 13, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in your practical love for one another. Why? So that he may establish your hearts in holiness. Sanctification is necessarily social. So, He gives you strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Now, I know this is the longest section. Please understand, because Paul winds up through this thing. The fact is, he doesn't give a subject to this. All he says that we would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of what? He doesn't give it. But within the context... There's no question probably that he's talking about the love of God in Christ. God's love is total. It reaches every corner of our experience, and this is good news for you. It's wide, covering the breadth of our experience, and it encompasses all of humanity, Jew, Gentile, young, old, men and witch, rich, poor, sick, healthy, intelligent, and not so much. God's love is Long, it continues the entire length of our lives and lasts for eternity, never running out. His love is deep. It reaches to the depths of our discouragement, despair, brokenness, sin, even to death. And it's high. It rises to the heights of our celebration, exalts us in the heavenly dimension. Kind of like that Romans 8 passage that whether you go forward, backward, up or down into the depths, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. So when you feel shut out or isolated, discouraged or worried, sinful or sick, remember that you can never be lost to God's love. He prays that you would know the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of God and to know the love of Christ. To know it. To know it by our experience. He uses that word that's experiential knowledge. Now, now, doesn't this sound strange? To know the love of Christ, which is, surpasses knowledge. Paul, what are you saying? I want you to know this, but you can't. No, he's not saying that. He's saying this, that we would know in our experience his love. He's saying, you can know it, but you can't understand all of it. It's inexhaustible. It's so vast, one cannot possibly know it completely. It surpasses the limits of our knowledge and goes infinitely beyond. And this is part of the wonder of eternity in the new heaven, the new earth. We're going to get to explore what we know about this much of God's love. We are going to explore and get to know. And even as long as we can, we'll never fully fathom its depths. So Paul is praying for an understanding of Christ's love and especially deep within our soul. Do we understand that? Got it? Okay. So the third thing that the Spirit empowers in our experience is 
to become Christ's likeness, to trust his ownership, to know his love, and to become his likeness, his likeness, that you may be filled, he says, with the fullness of God. How do you get the likeness out of that? Here's how. Again, filled is something done to us that we receive, and it's done with or into the fullness of God. In Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So only in Christ is the fullness of God. But it's our union with him through being filled with his Holy Spirit that we will increasingly be made full. And Paul uses this term in chapter 4, verse 13, where he said, in talking about spiritual maturity, that we would become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God or the fullness of Christ. When he's talking about we've been filled with the fullness of God, he's talking about that we would grow in our spiritual maturity and that we would become more and more and like him so that we would fully resemble him. John in chapter 1, verses 14 and 16, speaking of Jesus as the word of God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory full of grace and truth and of his fullness we have received. You see, we experience the fullness of Christ in increasing degrees and as we're filled, we are transformed, we resemble like him, we resemble uh, him. And as believers in a church, we are growing up into the full likeness of Jesus Christ. God expects us to be growing towards that final fullness where one day in his presence we will be transformed into the complete likeness in our character, thinking, affections, and conduct. We won't become Jesus. We won't become Christ's. We will become like him in these areas. Fully like him in our humanity. God's fullness includes goodness and grace and mercy and truth and wisdom and power and love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, holiness and compassion. I could go on to be filled with the fullness of all that Christ is and growing to become like him. And Paul prays that we would be filled to the brim with grow mature in being characterized by Jesus Christ. The Spirit empowers in us to trust Christ's ownership, to know his love, and to become Christ's likeness. That's what being filled with the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit can do in us. Is that good news? It's very good news. And he ends his prayer bursting in thanksgiving. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that has worked within us, what's that power? The person of the Holy Spirit. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. 
to him who is able. See, Paul believes there is no limit to what God can do through us by the Spirit's power. So often the hindrance is our lack of trust and the lack of taking steps of faith to experience his power at work. But if we as a church and we as individuals would listen to his voice, trust his direction, take appropriate risks to reach people from God, increase the effectiveness of our ministry, expand the kingdom of God, God will do more than we ask for his glory. Jesus said it in John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. In the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas, not risking for Christ and his kingdom resulted in severe discipline. So playing it safe as a follower of Christ resulted in rebuke, not commendation. So he can do more according to his power, the Spirit. And that is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He'll enable us to choose the right thing to do, to choose not to do the thing we shouldn't, to enable us not to cave to temptation, to empower us to serve those when we are tired, to enable us to forgive someone who does not deserve to be forgiven, to love someone who is antagonistic or persecutes us, to enable us to stand strong in our beliefs when being belittled for such beliefs, to celebrate a blessing you know, to bless a competitive colleague or relative, to provide us with humility over pride, to celebrate when others succeed and we don't, to provide, to provide when we give generously to him, to not take vengeance on someone who hurt us, to strengthen us when we're weak in faith and to love someone we actually don't like that much. His power available by faith beyond what you can imagine so to him be glory when we take those steps and he comes through beyond what we ask him God is most glorified in us when we are most fruitful for him you see God's love and his power are available to God's people to accomplish his purposes for his glory. It's just true. So, will you ask the Father to strengthen you in your inner being by his Holy Spirit? Will you trust Christ's ownership of your life? Or is this still a fight? Will you know his, experience, his love in your experience? Will you become Christ's likeness in your character, thinking, and affections? Where do you hesitate in any of those questions? Trust him. Can do more than you think or ask. Amen.